part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You'd open your Bibles again to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We've been on verse 6 and 7 really for the last four weeks during this Advent season. We've been looking at uh, this promise that has come uh, in Christ. Have you ever wondered or have you ever thought, man, this would have been a really good time to have been on planet Earth? Have you ever thought back, you know, from the creation when God created Adam and Eve and then he began to create other things? Have you ever thought that, man, I wish I lived back in such and such time? I've heard people say that, you know, I wish I lived back in the Old Testament times and saw something like God do this miraculous work when he took the Red Sea and he opened it up and people walked across on dry land. I've heard other people say, you know, I just wish that I was back there in biblical days when when Christ was actually born, you know, that I would have been one of the believers. And and maybe you would have been. But I also think that there would have been a lot of us that would have been just like everybody else, that we would have said, but he doesn't look like a king. This really is the Messiah. This is the Savior. I don't know about you, but I've figured out that God has a purpose for us to live in the day that we are and uh, that we are the benefactors of some things that uh, the early church fathers did not have. Certainly the Old Testament people, they didn't see the fullness. They had the promise, but they didn't see the fullness of so many things that you and I have had now witness to that we've been able to say, yes, we know that Christ was born. Well, I say that to kind of lead into the day because one of the things that I've always stressed as we open up God's Word is that we always have to look at the Bible in context. You can take any verse, I promise almost any verse, and you can extract it out And then you can twist it and turn it to make it to say about anything that you'd want to. And one of the things that that is really upon us as Christians studying God's word is that we always look not just at what that verse says, but what is the context. That probably is uh, an understatement for this morning. Because as we look in Isaiah and we look at the time, you know, we've said that this is when the Jewish people were divided. There was a northern territory. There was a southern territory. They are in exile, and they are in, you know, they don't know if they're, they're actually going to continue on. And we see all this pressure put on and all this fear that could very much be there for the people of Israel. And yet they still are thinking in the, in the past, didn't God make a covenant with Abraham, who they considered kind of their father? You know, didn't he make a covenant with Father Abraham? And is this covenant now going to be laid to waste? Is it going to be broken? That's kind of the context that we've looked over the last couple of weeks when we saw that by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, God gave a word of truth, of prophecy, something that would happen later in time, about 700, 800 years later. He gives this word of hope to the people of Israel. And he says that there is one that I'm going to send, and when I send him, he's going to have these different titles. And one of the titles was Wonderful Counselor, and we looked at that three weeks ago. And that should cheer us up that we have somebody who, remember we said that it really wasn't, wonderful is not an adjective there, it's actually a noun. And so it's wonderful, not just describing what kind of counselor, he's just wonderful. And he's a counselor. Well, we like that. I mean, every one of us go, okay, I need a little counseling. And if I go to counseling, I want one that is wonderful. I want one that truly has, you know, love for me and concern for me. Second week we began to look at, uh, last week we looked at how God said that this one that's coming is mighty God. That even though he's going to be a little baby, he very much will look like a baby, but he is the king. 
And I don't know that you and I really, you know, we, we can play that in our mind as much as we want to. Do you really have a grasp? Now, now Seth, you're, you're one of the smart guys here. You, you know a lot of uh, biblical stuff. Now, I've set him up for that. Can you really grasp the incarnation, what it means that God clothed himself in flesh? I mean, you have studied, you have read, you have done all this. But isn't it almost, a, okay, you, you've been to the biblical school. Can you really grasp? I mean, we can say what it, the incarnation is. But Riley, do you think you can really grasp what it means that God himself, holy God, would clothe himself in flesh? This is amazing, guys. And yet sometimes we have heard it so much that we just kind of handle it as, okay, yeah, he clothed himself in flesh. He came as a little baby. He lived. He died. He rose again. And not that we treat it in some kind of trite way, but it's one of those things that sometimes it doesn't keep us in awe. And so last week we really focused on what does it mean that he's mighty God? It means that God himself clothed himself in flesh. God himself clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. Next week we're going to look at how this promise was a promise of a prince of peace. I don't know about you, but I need a little bit more peace. I want somebody to, to champion my cause. You know, when you think of prince of peace, you think of somebody maybe riding in on this stallion, bringing peace in a time of war or conflict. And certainly Christ does that. And yet he's the first one to say that, you know, I come with a sword. <laughs> I don't really come to make peace. I'm actually going to be shaking things up a little bit, ultimately to bring peace. And we'll look at that next week. And we look at all of these different titles, all these different names, and we kind of are endeared to them. And yet we come to the one for this week, Everlasting Father. And I don't know about you, but there's this little theological thing that kind of sets off going, okay, wait, 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 time out. Isn't Isaiah talking about the Christ that is coming, the Messiah? And we would say, yes. Then why does he call him the Father? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And one of the tenets of our foundational tenets, a closed-hand thing, not one of these open-hand things where we can discuss it and kind of disagree and still be of, of, of the same like mind. No, one of the closed-hand things of traditional, conservative, Christian, biblical Christian thought is this Trinitarian view of God. Three distinct persons and yet one God. Now, again, I can't have the concept of the incarnation, much less can I even begin to really conceive how three can be one. I mean, it blows my mind, and I stand in all of that, but I believe that. And yet this verse begins to kind of confuse me a little bit. Why would Isaiah call Jesus, even if it's 700, 800 years before he comes, why would he call him a father when we know that he's going to be the son? possible or maybe several possible conclusions there one isaiah just doesn't hear it directly from god gets it wrong that didn't happen (laughs) somehow he's confused or he's kind of on another level of understanding Uh, that may have a little bit to do with it but uh, as far as he's just speaking something that's deeper or it could be that he was very intentional he got it exactly as god determined this is my vote you know, that he got it exactly right, and that we just need to kind of look at context and say, okay, what does it mean that Christ, who is the Son, could still be called an everlasting Father? That's what we're going to explore this morning. The first part is going to be a little bit technical, theological. Some of you, you love theology, and so you're going to go, good. Uh, there's a map, I've said before. I know that we have map geek, geeks here, and so anytime that you can throw up a map, 
you know, for all the people. Man, just keep the map up there, you know, because they like maps. Other people, you get bored with maps. So we have theology, we have a map, and then we have very, very practical application. What does it mean that Christ was come and that he's called the everlasting Father? Let's pray together so that we would have understanding. Father, would you open our minds? We stand in need for you to truly show us what your word reveals this morning, Father, not because uh, a pastor is studied, not because uh, we, we come together and we want to solve this riddle, Father. We need to know the fullness, Father, of what it means that Christ is an everlasting Father. What, what do you mean by that? For, Father, you did not stutter. You did not get it wrong. Isaiah did not hear it wrong. We did not write it down wrong, Father. You very much have pronounced that this Christ that would come would be an everlasting Father. Will you give us understanding to that this morning, Father, so that we with full conviction can come and, and Father, that we would understand what that means in our lives, both in a theological, foundational sense, but also in a very practical sense. We love you, God. We thank you so much for your spirit, Father, this, this other person of the Trinity that gives us understanding this morning. And we pray that you would just write upon our hearts these truths. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Is, um, you know, Isaiah trying to make a theological statement here? No. In fact, let me tell you, there, uh, there is a religion out there. There is a denomination, a way of thinking called the Oneness Movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but they, they actually do not believe in the Trinity. They believe in God, but they think that there's kind of three modes to God not three persons of God. And so, I mean, in one way, that's easy to believe. That's really easy. It's a lot less complicated than one God and yet three distinct people, persons of the Trinity, just to say, okay, he's one God and he just kind of has three different flavors there and kind of depending on what flavor you need, you can take that flavor. Now, out of the oneness movement and others that would want to deny the Trinity, they they sometimes would point, especially the oneness movement, they point back to Isaiah 9, 6, the very verse that we've been studying for the last three weeks, and they said, there's our proof text right there. Look what it says. Calling this promise of Jesus to be an everlasting Father. Let's keep it in context, guys. The context is Israel does not know what the future holds. They are surrounded by the Assyrians. They've seen them once a great people. Now people, they've already been divided into a northern and a southern territory, a, a kingdom. They're already kind of divisional at that point. Now the Assyrians, can we throw the map up there? See the little purple part? At the first part of, of Isaiah's reign, or Isaiah's kind of uh, coming, and the time that he is a prophet, that was the, the uh, Assyrian Empire, that purple part. And by the time that uh, Isaiah now has died and gone on, it expands to the green part. And then the very last part, you know, is this little brown part. And that includes Jerusalem. The Assyrian kingdom, their empire, was growing, growing, growing. That's what the Jewish people were facing. Now, I don't put that up there just because I know some people really like maps, even though I know that some people really like maps. I want you to know that in the time that this is given, it's really kind of during this purple time. And like so many times we ask of God and we get a word from God and we're going, okay, God, you're going to fix it. And you have the Monday to fix this. 
Folks, it got worse before it got better. And this is not strange for God to do this. There's many times in the Bible where it got worse before it got better. And yet when we hear of this promise, we hear that you know, there's going to be this Christ. We want this Christ to come into our life right this moment. We want everything solved. We want the purple to go away and that it all is restored into the natural beauty that we thought before you know, that there was even conflict. I don't know about you, but isn't that kind of how you're persuaded? That we trust God. We, we say we trust God. And yet if God's going to answer God, why don't you just go ahead and answer today or tomorrow? We'll give you through the weekend. But God, we we really, if you're going to make a promise, we want to see that deliverance of that promise very, very soon. Guys, it's important for us to understand the context of this because, number one, when Isaiah is given this by the enlightenment of, of God, these people will not see things get better immediately. There's promises that God has given you and I in our lives And sometimes we hold on to those promises and we quote those promises. Maybe we study those promises and we go, okay, God, I'm claiming this. And I'm just going to, man, this is my truth. This is your truth and I'm claiming it. And that's a good thing to do. We should be claiming God's truth all the time in our lives. But have you ever claimed God's truth and just really pronounced it, prayed it, and things in the situation that you were praying about actually got worse before they got better? Isn't that amazing how sometimes that can happen? And there's a net, I don't know about you, but there's a natural instinct that comes within my flesh, not my spirit, but in my flesh. It goes, okay, God, did you not hear me? And then sometimes we even think maybe we are the ones that prayed it wrong. Have you ever thought that maybe you just didn't articulate it right to God? Well, God, no, I said this is what I wanted. Maybe you misunderstood. No, it says that Christ even now is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is purifying our prayers and putting them before God. Guys, you don't need to articulate more. What you need is to understand that God's ways are not our ways. Now, I don't say that as a cop-out. I say that as a biblical mode. There's times that God just does things, always with purpose, always intentionally, not just kind of at random, but he does these things because he's God. Never once, never once will we enter heaven, look back on life and say, God, you know, you were wrong there. In the by and by, guys, when we we stand before a holy God, we would have already witnessed here on earth some of what God was doing. Because sometimes five years, ten years, fifteen years, we begin to see some of God's plans play out. We're going, I would have never thought that this would have ended up here. And sometimes on earth, we actually get to experience some of that. But then there's going to be other times that it will be glory itself. And, and I don't know how God's going to do this whole last you know, time, a, a review of our life, but I think there's going to be a point where we begin to see the majesty of God, the wonder of God, the mysteries of God's revealed in the place where we're going, God, that you were making sense all the time. The, people of Israel, 700, 800 years that they're waiting for this. And they're promised this everlasting Father. Let's make it real personal. With that going on in their world, they have truly a lot of fear. They have fear of their children. Are their children going to grow up in captivity? Do you think that they're not aware of what happened back in Egypt? How for hundreds of years... 
Well, guys, again, we were talking this morning in, in, in young Mary's class. There's a whole bunch of things that you can put on our shoulders as, as grown adults, but you get to our children and it gets really serious. And say you're part of this group that Isaiah is speaking to. They don't know what the future of their children could be. Their safety, even what's going to happen to their nation. So they have fears for their children, for their freedom. They have fears that their grandchildren are not going to know their heritage. Is it one of the things that kind of keeps us going, and, and especially spiritually, is that we just want our children, and then one day, as if we're blessed with grandchildren, that to just know that it continues and continues and continues? And we, we love to see. I mean, is there a greater joy than when you see your grandchildren, maybe for some of you even great-grandchildren following in faith? Can you imagine? I mean, some of us as parents, we've already seen that. And is there a greater joy than seeing your children follow in faith in Christ Jesus? Can you imagine that joy with your grandchildren? If God would even give you grace, to, can you imagine that with great-grandchildren? These people are not feeling the assurance of that. You saw the purple. You saw the green. The Assyrians are not going backwards, folks. They're taking over more and more and more territory. They are literally living, if we want to keep it in context, in a time when they don't know our tomorrow, our, our children, or our grandchildren are going to be enslaved just like the people were back in Egypt hundreds of years ago. They have fears that Israel, the Israel of old, is, is just a former imagination. And perhaps the most motivating fear in their life is that this covenant that God made with Abraham hundreds of years before might be broken by all that is happening around them. I don't know about you, but one of the darkest days of our lives, one of the most trying days of our lives is when we take spiritual truth and spiritual promise and we actually really do doubt it. Are you honest enough with yourself to say that there's been times that you've read a promise of God and and by faith you really want to believe it, you really do kind of believe it, and yet it is so dark in the room at that moment. You certainly don't feel it. And there's even a little question mark that begins in the mind and sometimes in the heart. I says, is this really true? It's where the people of Israel are. Hey, it's one thing to lose. If our kids grow up as, as, you know, in exile, it's another thing to lose our nation. But, but could God have forgotten us? It's kind of like what we were reading in the Psalms. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Now, out of all those things, which one is the worst? Now, I realize that we're going to say, well, our kids, that's pretty far out there. You know, and I, I think of my kids before I think of my nation. But is there anything more tragic than if the things of God that we accept as truth and we believe is true, if they're really not true? Guys, if that implodes, if the truths of God are not real, then it really doesn't matter what happens to your nation. And please hear this in context. It really doesn't matter what happens to your kids. I'm not saying that as I'm caring. I'm a dad. I love my kids. I hope to love grandkids one day. I want that heritage and that legacy. But if the the truths of God implode, if they're not true, then what hope do we have? That's what Israel is facing. This is the context. And God in his mercy and his grace goes, okay, let me give you hope. Let me bring light into this darkness. Let me bring a word of hope even though it's going to be 700, 800 years before it actually comes into being, let me give you hope in the, the midst of this. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you 
this Prince of Peace. I'm going to give you this wonderful counsel. I'm going to give you mighty God is going to take on flesh. And he's going to be an everlasting father. If we go straight to the Hebrew and we begin to look back, in the Hebrew, everlasting father translates father of eternity. And what Isaiah is not trying to do is trying to make a Trinitarian statement here. He's not talking about, they're not discussing the Trinity. So he's not, when he says, you know, everlasting father, he's not going, oh, you know, but this could be really confusing to all those people that are thinking that I'm talking about God the Father and not God the Son. He's not even describing that. That's not the context. He wasn't trying to, to, to entertain theological debate. He's got a nation of people that are fearful what's going to happen tomorrow. And God in his grace gives us hope. The actual meaning here, the Father of Eternity, what does that mean? Father is the primary noun. Everlasting is the term that describes this fatherhood. And, and really we see the context of it kind of uh, prolonged into verse 7 when he says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no what? No end. That's what he means by Father of Eternity. So oftentimes when we think of something eternal, uh, can we show that next slide? When we think of, of something eternal... Don't you think there was no beginning, there was no end? And I know that this little, you know, figure up there doesn't really fully, you know, cover eternity because you, but you see an arrow going this way and an arrow going that way. And when we think of something being eternal, like God, it was no, there was no beginning, there is no end. It's, it's eternal in nature. This is not what, listen real carefully, I'm dangling on the very edge of theological uh, 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 truth here. This is not what Isaiah is talking about. He's not trying to take uh, this moment to talk about the eternal nature of God. It's not his argument. It's not his purpose. Can we show the next picture? When he says everlasting, what he's trying to give hope for is, hey, guys, I speak to you in this age right now, and I want you to know, that this promise is going to go on forever and ever again. Do you see the different context? One is we're talking about something theological. We're talking about, okay, has God always existed? Yes, he is eternal. He's always been. He always has been. Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, okay? That's theology. This is pretty practical right here. Isaiah, in this moment of need, in this nation of these people that know, I don't know what tomorrow holds. He says, I want you to know that there's an everlasting Father who's coming. And he's really pointing one way. He's not trying to discuss the beginning. Folks, we can go to the New Testament writers. John says that Christ was there and created. Paul says that Christ was there. Nothing was created that Christ didn't create. We have all of our proof texts. We have all of our things if we want to discuss theology and say, okay, has Christ always been? We have all those. That's not what Isaiah is trying to prove. Have you ever sat down with somebody who's really just hurting, really bad? They're just in a dark place in your life. And, and how appropriate is theology in that moment? Well, I just want you to know, theologically speaking, in fact, in the Hebrew it says, we would never deny that theology is not important. It's the very foundation of truth that, that we have to say that these things are true. 
Hey, guys, I, I'm telling you, if your husband just died, if your wife just died, if your children is sick and, and on the deathbed and the doctor came in and said, we don't know what tomorrow holds, I promise you, you don't need a theological training from me. You need a compassionate God that is an everlasting Father that says, look, I can't promise what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know, I know that every truth of God will last forever and ever and ever and ever. There's a time to be theological, and there's a time that we apply theology to the hardness of life and the difficulty of life, and that's what Isaiah is doing here. But Bobby, why did he call him Father? Pretty good question. I'm not going to try to, to shy away from that. This word everlasting means no end. He's trying to say, look, all the promises that I've made, this care that God gives, it goes on forever and ever and ever. Let's get really practical for the moment. Let's admit our fleshness. Is one of the fears that you have in your life that the things that you have acquired, not so much in a materialistic way, but in just in a living way, is one of the fears that is natural to man that that which we have may go away. Now, again, I'm not just talking about materialistically. I'm not talking about, well, you know, I had a million dollars saved up in my 401K, and because of the stock market now, I don't have anything. I'm not talking about that. It's not one of the natural fears of man is that we have no control over tomorrow. And that the things that we have acquired, a husband, a wife, a family, loved ones around us, our beliefs, that somehow there could be danger to that? Is that not one of those things that is inherent to our flesh? What does this promise say in the face of this fear that is natural to every one of us? I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know how many people in here have ever been in fear of literally losing their house. It's not just a materialistic thing, but I promise you guys, if you haven't made a mortgage payment in four or five months and they've written you letters and you don't know because you can't find a job and you can't pay the mortgage next month and they said you have to this date, I don't know if any of you have been there. I I haven't. By God's grace, we haven't had to face that. Certainly had things in our lives that we're going, okay, where's that money going to come from? But I don't know that you've ever been in a place where you wondered, am I going to be kicked out of my house? I don't know that you've ever been in a place. I haven't been in this place, except for our firstborn. You know, she was two months premature. And the doctors just didn't come out and say it, but basically there was a 50-50 chance of her survival. And that's probably the closest that we've ever gotten in our lives but I don't know where you've been. Have you been in a place where they came in and said, look, there's just no hope for this person, that person, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife. Actually, let's just be real. So that fear does come even to the life of a believer. There's the potential of fear to come in there because somehow when we can't control tomorrow, the next day, the next day, we're going, okay, how, how do we kind of put our arms around this to protect everything that we are, our family. Again, don't think just materialistic. Not just, okay, my car. Don't touch my car. <laughs> don't, don't think that way. Even though it could be for somebody. I've heard people say, 
Bobby, I don't know what's happening in America anymore. That's not the same country I grew up in. I would say you're probably right. It's not the same country. There's a lot of things going on that, and, and that fear of, okay, are your grandchildren, what kind of country will your grandchildren grow up in? Do you kind of see how this relates to where Israel is? Those were real questions that they were asking, guys. That's the context by which we have this wonderful blessing of God to say, okay, you're going to be everlasting father. You know, you, you can't control tomorrow, but I'm going to send one to you that's going to reveal to you this fatherly nature of who I am. And it's going to be everlasting. It will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. In the darkness of, of wondering about exile, he gives this promise. See, it's through this Messiah, the Christ, that God gave us an answer that permanently solved our biggest problem. Our biggest problem, guys, is our own sin. And that sin puts us in estrangement. It separates us from a holy God. doesn't make God less loving that we're separated. It makes him holy. He can't take our sin and be in the midst of our sin and with his holiness. And so there had to be an answer for sin. That is your biggest problem. It is my biggest problem. And, and this promise of this everlasting father, this promise of this prince of peace, this promise of this mighty God, this promise of this wonderful counselor is God's answer to our biggest fear and our biggest need. 2 Timothy 1.10 and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and what? Immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, what's the answer? Okay, that didn't just bring life, but he brought immortality. That is, that we will live forever. Here's how it says that in Hebrews. Listen, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that is, you know, this is who we are, these human beings, he himself likewise partook in the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. Fancy words to say, okay, you and I wake up, and one of the fears that we have, this lifelong slavery that we have, if it's not for the hope of Christ, is, is that, man, this fear of dying, and not just the fear of dying, but the fear of losing these things that we've assembled around us, this family, that we just don't have control. 1 Corinthians 15, here's what Paul said. When the perishable, that is that which can be destroyed, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, that which cannot be destroyed, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Guess who said, who, who's he quoting there? Did anybody know? Anybody know where death is swallowed up in victory comes from? Isaiah. <laughs> comes from. Yeah. Isaiah 25. 
I mean, the very person who's pronouncing this in Isaiah 6, uh, I mean, Isaiah 9, later in Isaiah 25, he, he gives us this promise. And Paul now, hundreds of years later, is quoting that this has come true. Now, this morning, guys, I've either bored you completely, I've left you going, okay, I don't have a clue of what he's talking about. Let me kind of round this up because, you know, we want our theology, we want our theology to be correct, but we want to be real in this application. And and here's how it comes down, a, a, a future application to a present application. 1 Corinthians, we just read verse 54. Listen to verses 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, what? Do you ever get faint-hearted? Can you love Jesus and become faint-hearted? Yes. Can you be a Christian going to heaven one day and be faint-hearted? Can you be in the Bible every single day and still have moments where you're faint-hearted? Yeah. And so what does he point us back to here? He goes, look, it is finished in Christ Jesus. As there's going to be days that we need to know that it is not our holding on to him that is getting us through that day. That is his holding on to us. That is sure and true. He is the everlasting Father. He reveals the Father like no other. But we even know, I mean, it's amazing when we open up the New Testament and we begin to see this introduction. You won't find it in the Old Testament. It's just not there except for maybe one or two different places. And if we take those places in context, he's not really talking about a heavenly Father that we think of today. But Christ began to talk about his Father and he began to introduce that this Father that was his Father could be our Father. How did he teach us to pray? I know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Now, you would not have catched an Old Testament saint starting off a prayer with our Father. You know, in the Old Testament, they believed so much, they were so in awe, really in fear <laughs> of God and his mightiness. Kind of like what you were saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, this, this utter fear almost, this awe of God, that they would not even pronounce the name of God. And so they took out vowels so that it was unpronounceable. It was just one of those things, you, you know, what we call Yahweh, but they took out the vowels so you couldn't even say it to kind of keep them refrained from even trying to say the name of God. That's how they stood in awe and respect of that. And then, then to turn the pages and see that this Christ has come. And he's come so that we would be able to say, Father, my heart is broken today. Abba, Father, Daddy. I don't know what to do. My son's doing this. My, my, you know, the bank says they're going to take my house. The doctor said there's no cure for this. That we have this one that we don't have to say this unpronounceable name, but that we can say, Father in heaven, because you've made me your son or your daughter. I cry out to you. And who made that possible? The one that, that Isaiah is talking about. Everlasting Father. 
Old Testament, you're not going to see this mention of, of God in this fatherly role. In the New Testament, we see it 165 times. Jesus himself uses it um, over and over and again. Paul uses it 45 different times. The, if you want to say, okay, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? A whole bunch of things. But one of the pronounced differences is how we see God. He is the same God, same yesterday, today, and forever. But what we see through the revelation of Christ is God now is this father and not just as this guy throwing lightning bolts around. That's the promise that Isaiah gives. Inconceivable to the Jewish people. They cannot even conceive that. And that's why for you and I, sometimes it's going to be hard to conceive. That's why we need verses like what Paul wrote in Romans 5, uh, 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear of what? Fear of no relationship with God. Fear of losing it because you're not good enough. Fear of all kinds of different things. He said you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father everlasting Father. You may leave him, but he's not leaving you. See, just the term Father brings up all kinds of emotions to us. Some of you go, man, I just, oh, yeah. I shared with you before, I, I would give anything to talk to my daddy one more time. Others of you go, you know, I can't get far enough away from my daddy because you, had a, you didn't have a, a, an earthly daddy that loved you well or reflected Christ's likeness. All kinds of emotions with that word Father. And so that's why Christ comes and reflects the proper reflection of what a Father is. Here's what a Father is. One that loves you so much that he would send his Son to die in your place. For what purpose? So we could be happy? No, so that we could spend all of eternity with him. He never takes his eyes in this purpose of carrying out the sending of a Messiah, the eternal purpose of you being with him for all eternity. Everlasting Father. I'll end with this. One of my favorite verses from John. Remember John? By the time he's writing this, he's kind of the granddaddy of the church. Perhaps one of the oldest Christians alive by the time he writes this. Some would say that even in his 90s. And here's what he says. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. In the midst of darkness, he said there's going to be a light. In the midst when this little purple area on the map began to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and that may be how your life feels right now. Man, it was like this two weeks ago, but now it's already this, 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 this. God says, man, I come to bring you light in the midst of this darkness. Today, this third week of Advent, we, we actually you notice that there's a pink candle here. And we, we do this pink candle. It's traditionally known as the, the candle, the joy candle. Because even though Christ hasn't come, that will come in the coming weeks. And then we'll light the Christ candle in the middle. But now we have joy because this promise is becoming more and more real. This expectation of light in the darkness is becoming more and more real. And that's where hope and faith come in. And that brings joy 
even in those moments when it doesn't really seem like there's anything to be joyful for. Why? Because God will keep his promises. He is everlasting Father. And he's shown us the way that he has saved us. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray that, uh, that you would give understanding to, to us. I did not mean to be all theological, Father. I did not mean to be uh, in, in my word state, Father, uh, kind of all over the place, and yet I, I feel like a little scattered, and I'm dependent upon your spirit, Father, to, to take all that we've said and, and just to point to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. For, Father, today there are people in this very midst, Father, in our people today, Father, They've lost some hope. They're, they're fearful because of what the doctor said. They're fearful because what their bank account says. They're fearful because they look at a world and it's getting worse and worse and they wonder about their children and their grandchildren. And Father, I pray that we would understand that in the midst of all that darkness, hundreds of years ago, you made a promise that with this prophecy that there would be this Messiah that would come, you made a promise to us. And it was a promise that would last forever. So, Father, for those that are in doubt, for those that are struggling, for those that are really wondering, Father, replace their doubt with the assurance of the truth of your word. Your promises are everlasting. And, Father, next week is not going to be dependent upon how hard we can hold on to you, but Father, how sufficiently you have already held on to us in Christ Jesus. Let us rest in that. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. And now, Father, we have this time of reflection, commitment, and prayer back to you. And we pray that, Father, you just speak to our hearts. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.